pretty easy for us to be enticed with new. Like a new car. A new home. This is cute. A new job. <laughs> a new trend. A new look. A new you. Nope. And maybe that's not a bad thing our creator seems to be all about new. Like a new promise. A new command. Hi. New life. Hi. New mercies. And even a new year. God not only loves new, but promises to make all things new. And we are invited into the sacred work. copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning, Romans chapter 8. For more than 20 years, Charles Templeton was a major figure in the church in the United States and Canada. In the 1950s, Charles Templeton and Billy Graham were the most sought-after evangelists in North America. Each night, Charles Templeton would preach to, to crowds of up to 30,000 in stadiums. He would he would boldly and powerfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was Charles Templeton. But in 1957, all of that changed. He came to a crisis of faith. He began to have doubts. He resigned the ministry. He renounced his faith in Jesus, and he became an agnostic. He wrote a book that describes his journey to agnosticism. It's called farewell to God and I've read that book and and I've got to tell you the book saddens me because as I read the reasoning behind his rejection of Christ and rejection of the gospel it doesn't make any sense to me Lee Strobel wrote a book called the case for faith and in that book he went and interviewed Charles Templeton and as he interviewed Charles Templeton he asked Templeton one question he said is there one thing that you can point to that caused you to reject your faith in Christ? And Templeton thought for a few moments, and then he said one picture, a photograph in Life magazine. And then he went on to say this. It was a picture of a black woman in northern Africa. They were experiencing devastating drought, and she was holding her dead baby in her arms and looking up to heaven with the most forlorn expression. I looked at it and thought, is it possible to believe that there is a loving or caring creator when all this woman needed was rain? Like many of us who are in this room today, Templeton struggled with suffering, why is there suffering in the world? That is one of the major problems that people have with the Christian faith. It's one of the major reasons that people do not believe in God today. Because there is so much suffering in the world. People say things like this. If there was a God and God was loving, then why would he allow such suffering? Several years ago, George Barna did a nationwide survey. And in that nationwide survey, he asked one question. 
The question was this. If you could ask God only one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask? The number one response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? You see, that's a question that a lot of us have today. Now, I've got to be honest with you as I stand up here before you. I don't have all the answers. But I believe that God's Word does give us some answers about suffering. Why there is suffering and what we do when we go through suffering. And I want to warn you that you better find out what God says about suffering because suffering will come knocking on your door. Sooner or later, you're going to face some suffering. And so you better understand what the Bible says about it. And so let's look at Romans 8. Last week we began looking at this chapter and we began by looking at this great truth, no condemnation. And we started with that verse that says there is no condemnation to those who belong to Jesus Christ. Even though we are guilty of sin and, and even though each and every one of us continually struggle with sin, even after we give our life to Jesus, if we belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. Paul ends this book with letting us know that there is no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is found in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not life, not death, not angels, not demons, no power above, no power below. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. So for those of us who belong to Jesus, there's no condemnation. That's great news. There's no separation. That's great news. But in between condemnation and separation, we discover a whole lot of suffering in this chapter. And as I share with you this morning, I'm going to share with you some not-so-good news. And then I'm going to share with you some good news. And then I'm going to finally share with you some absolutely great news. And so if your Bibles are opened, I want us to begin reading together in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. I'll read, you follow along. It says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including 
the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it, but if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now let's stop there for just a minute. Because I, I need to share with you just in passing something that we're not going to address this morning. You see, this passage says that there are times that the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf to the Father. That the Holy Spirit is interceding in prayer when we don't know how to pray. There have some who have said this is speaking of a prayer language. Now the Bible does speak of prayer languages, but this isn't it. The Bible doesn't say that right here. What the Bible is saying is the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings that cannot be put in words. And a prayer language are words. You may not understand them, you may not be able to interpret them, somebody better, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about how when we're going before the throne of God, we're broken, we're desperate, and, and, and we're seeking an answer from God, and we just don't know how to pray. We just don't know what to pray. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is there praying on our behalf to the Father. I don't know about you, but that's very comforting to me. Because there are times in my life when I just don't know how to pray. I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know whether to pray for healing or I don't know whether to pray for a, a, an easy death and passing. I, I don't know whether to pray for strength to stay or, or the wisdom to go. There are times when I don't know what to pray but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit during those times intercedes on our behalf. Isn't that comforting, amen? Now let's go on. It says that we know that God calls us everything to work together for the good of those who love him, who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him and having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now, three truths. Here's truth number one. This life is filled with suffering. Write it down. Put it in the margin of your Bible. If there's one thing you don't want to miss this morning, it's this. Your life, my life, every life on planet Earth is going to be filled with suffering. Now, if you watch many of the popular speakers and preachers on Christian TV today, they seem to tell us something else. They seem to tell us that if, if you love Jesus and you're following Jesus and you're obedient to Jesus, he's just going to bless your socks off. And, and it's true. God does bless us. God blesses us in a variety of ways. We've, we've even done a series called The Blessed Life. But understand, when it talks about the blessings of God, it's not talking about a pain-free life. 
It's not talking about a life that is filled with, with no suffering. You see, there's some of us that have this idea that if we love Jesus, our life is going to be filled with health and wealth. It's as if God has put spiritual bubble wrap all around us. And as we walk through life, we're never going to stub our toe. We're never going to have any kind of problems because God has his bubble wrapped around us. But the Bible teaches something totally opposite of that. The Bible teaches us that as we walk through this life, we are going to face trouble after trouble, pain after pain, suffering after suffering. Now, I know you didn't want to hear that, especially if you're young. I mean, goodness gracious, that doesn't sound like great news, does it? Well, about to graduate from high school, go off to college, I'm ready for the good life, and he tells me that my life's going to be filled with suffering. But that's what the Bible says. I want you to listen to what it says in verse 17 again. It says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Now, stop right there. I mean, I love that, don't you? Because we're God's children, we are joint heirs with Christ. You know what an heir is? An heir is someone who gets to sit at the table when the inheritance is given out. I like that. I mean, because here on this earth, I don't have any rich relatives. I mean, I would love to have, you know, a, a, an uncle that doesn't have any children, that has a billion dollars, and, you know, when he passes, I get that call, hey, your uncle loved you. I don't have one of those. I don't have anybody that has a million dollars. I don't have anybody that I think has a hundred thousand dollars. And so I tell you right now, if you're here and you don't have any children, <laughs> and, and, and you've got some money like that and you're looking for an heir, I'll, I'll even change my name. I'll come and visit you. I'll cut your yard. I mean, if I get to sit at the table, okay? You see, the Bible says we are heirs with Christ. What that means is when he is giving those who are his children his glory, you and I are going to receive that glory. Now, what all that means, I don't know. But I got to tell you, it's good, amen? It's good stuff. But then he goes on and he says this, but if we're to share his glory... We must also share his suffering. Wait a second. You mean if I want to be an heir, if I want to receive the glory, I've got to also receive the suffering? Well, that's what it says right here. You see, for those of us who are children of God, those of us who are followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters of Christ, we not only have the normal suffering that everyone goes through in life the Bible says we're gonna have some other suffering I want you to listen to some passages of Scripture Job said life is short it's full of trouble Jesus said in this world you will have trouble the Apostle Paul went deeper on this whole suffering thing in some other passages listen to what he said Philippians 1 29 for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ do you know, listen to me, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it is a privilege to be able to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So don't leave here today without giving your heart and life to him. But the Apostle Paul says not only do we have the privilege of trusting in Christ, 
we have been given the privilege of suffering with him. In chapter 3 of Philippians, he goes on to say, I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, And God will use this persecution you're going through to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. And we could go on and on. You see, maybe... Rather than a theology of health and wealth and fame and fortune, you and I need to embrace a theology of suffering. Because the Bible says that suffering is more likely to come to most of our lives than health and wealth. And so we better be ready, we better be prepared, and we better know how to face the suffering when it comes to our life. But the question we've got to ask is, why? I mean, the Bible says we're going to suffer. There's suffering that everybody's going to face. There's suffering that, that we're going to face if we choose to be a follower of Jesus. Why is there this suffering? And the answer is one word. The reason there is suffering in the world is because there is sin in the world. You see, suffering began when sin began. Write that down. Before sin, there was no suffering. Suffering began when sin began. After sin, everything suffered. Sin affected every fiber of creation. Plant life was affected. Before sin, there weren't weeds. Before sin, there weren't thorns. There weren't those things. But when sin entered creation, it affected the plant life. How many of you are gardeners? How many of you have a garden? Raise your hand. Ah, I don't like you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to garden. I've tried to garden. Man, I've planted everything, and I just kill it. I kill it. But one thing I learned how to grow were weeds. <laughs> I can flat out grow me a weed garden. I'm good at it. Uh, maybe because I'm such a sinner. But weeds are a product of sin. The animal life was affected. Because of sin, animals turned on animals. Because of sin, animals turned on human beings. The atmosphere was affected. Before sin, there were no storms. There weren't hurricanes. There weren't tornadoes. There weren't earthquakes. There wasn't all of this violent atmospheric activity. And sin affected um, the universe. Meteors and asteroids and, and suns exploding and debris being cast out throughout the universe. All that is a result of sin. You and I look at creation through our sin-stained eyes and we see beauty. And, and there is a lot of beauty out there. But we need to understand that everything, absolutely everything that we see has been affected by sin. The beauty we presently see is nothing compared to the beauty that it once was. You see, sin affected everything. That's why this passage says that all creation is groaning. All creation is crying out. All creation is eagerly awaiting that future day. But listen, 
the part of creation that was affected the most by sin were human beings, mankind, you and me. From the moment of that first sin on, sin entered into our DNA. Sin began to flow through our arteries and veins. We are affected by sin inside and out. Our, our eyes have been affected. Our ears have been affected. Our mouth has been affected. Our heart has been affected. Every part of us has been affected by sin. And we long to be set free. Because even though we may not understand it if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we know that there is something that is bringing chaos and pain and suffering to our life. I mean, people make choices and lives are destroyed. Families are broken apart. Chaos ensues. You see, sin affects us relationally. It affects us emotionally. It affects us spiritually. And it affects us physically. Our bodies begin to decay and get old. In, in Templeton's book, Farewell to God, he talks about Alzheimer's, and he says that Alzheimer's could not exist if there was a loving God. Now, let me share with you, I know something about Alzheimer's. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's. My dad has Alzheimer's, along with a whole lot of other stuff going on in his life. I know what it is to see someone you love suffer like that. I know what it is to sit by that bed and say, Lord Jesus, if you're not going to heal him, take him home. Don't, don't just let him sit here like this. He, he wouldn't want to be here like this. But I can tell you this. For me, seeing my dad suffer hasn't weakened my faith. It's strengthened my faith. Because I know that what he looks like now is not what he's going to look like then. I know what he is going through now is not what he is going to experience then. I have hope. Because in the midst of the suffering, I know that God is working all things out. Now here's what I've discovered. People react to suffering in different ways. Some people um, deny it, they, they reject it, they despise it. I mean, it causes them to get bitter. Have you met people like that? I mean, a tragedy happens in their life, a, a death, a disease, a, a relationship is destroyed. Something happens and they get bitter. You've met people like that. I see people like that often and it breaks my heart. Those are people who despise the suffering. If you despise suffering, understand you're going to become a bitter person. Second thing that you can do when suffering comes is you can tolerate it. You can accept it. People that tolerate it and accept it are the people that say, okay, I heard the pastor say, suffering's coming. I better get ready. I better get in shape because when it punches me, I want to stand up and remain strong. And so they just accept it and tolerate it, and that's all they do. But I think there is a better way to handle suffering in our life, and that is we embrace it. We rejoice in it, and we learn from it. 
we learn from it. And that takes me to the second truth I want you to see. The first truth, life is filled with suffering. The second truth, suffering serves a purpose. Now, you may be asking, what is that purpose? Is, is the purpose of suffering pain and punishment and discipline? That's what some people think. And, and I want you to know today, that's not the purpose of suffering. It's true that when you look through God's Word, there are examples of where suffering is a clear result of God bringing punishment into the world. The flood was suffering. God brought it because of the sin of the people. Sodom and Gomorrah, suffering. God brought it because of the sin of the people. The nation of Israel, the nation of Judah being cast out into exile, they experienced that because of the, the, the discipline of God. But what you need to understand is most often suffering that we go through has nothing to do with punishment. It has nothing to do with discipline. It's for our learning. God is trying to teach us something, and he's trying to do something in us. And what he's trying to do in us, listen, is to make us more like Jesus. When you are going through the difficult times of life, understand that the purpose of those times is to make you more like Jesus. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, verse 28 and following. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing he gave them his glory now let me clarify here this passage is not saying that everything that happens in life is good it's not our world is filled with pain our world is filled with suffering our world is filled with sorrow and everything that happens isn't good but what God promises in this passage is this if you love the Lord and you belong to the Lord, no matter what happens in your life, he will turn it for good as he helps make you into the image and the likeness of his son. So everything that happens isn't good. But God can take the bad he can run it through his sovereignty. He can run it through his love. And he can bring good into your life through that bad as he's seeking to make you more like Jesus. Now some people read these verses and they get caught up in the choosing and the election and the predestination. And let me encourage you not to focus on that right now. We're going to deal with that in a couple of weeks as we look at Romans 9, 10, and 11 in another series. But I want you to know that that's not the purpose of these verses. The purpose of these verses is to show you that if you belong to Jesus, he has a plan for you in everything that happens to you. Did you get that? It's not talking about your salvation. It's not talking about God choosing you for salvation. It's saying that those that God has his hand on, he is using everything to bring about his purpose, and his purpose is to make you more like Jesus. 
A.W. Tozier said this, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it solves a great deal of anxiety. Remember, one day the Bible says we will rule with Christ. We're going to be heirs with Christ. And if we're going to rule with Christ and be heirs with Christ, then we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. And so when we're going through the difficult times of life, God is using that to prepare us for what he wants for us in the future. I mean, how else can you go through the death of a child? How else can you go through the death of a spouse? How else can you go through the death of a parent? How can you go through any difficult circumstance in life unless you know God's going to take this and he is going to, through his sovereignty and his love, work it out so that it helps me become more like Jesus. I mean, that's how we made it through when our son died suddenly a little over two and a half years ago. And we weren't prepared for that. We weren't ready for that. Not like we had any, any notice previously that anything was going to happen. It just snuck up on us and hit us right between the eyes. But in the midst of it, God not only gave us peace, but he allowed us to trust him because we knew that God's on his throne and we knew that God loves us. And if we know that God is on his throne, he hasn't vacated the throne, nobody has kicked him off the top of the mountain, and he loves us, then we know that whatever comes our way, hell or high water, doggone it, God's still on his throne, and he is going to use that in our lives to help us be all that God wants us to be. I can assure you that if, a, if you're a believer, no matter what is happening in your life, everything is going according to plan. It may not be your plan, but I'm telling you, it's going according to his plan. And if you doubt that, look at the cross. God took the most evil event in human history, the murder of his son, and turned it into our only hope for salvation. He took an old rugged cross and made it into a bridge of blessing in each and every one of our lives. You see, our suffering serves a purpose. But there's a third truth that you need to see in this passage, and that is our present suffering can't compare to our future glory. In another passage, Paul says this. He says, the eye hath not seen, neither has the ear heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I don't know everything that that means, but I can tell you what I know that it means. It means that on my best day, my most imaginative day, my most spiritually attuned day, my mind cannot begin to comprehend all that God has prepared for those who love him. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, that includes you. We may be going through difficult times here on this earth. We may be facing sorrow and suffering and pain and heartache. But I'm here to tell you that your eye hath not seen, your ear has not heard. It hasn't even entered into your mind the things that God has prepared for those who love him. When we think about a new year and a new you, we need to also be reminded that there's coming a day when he's going to make everything new. I want you to listen to what, what it says in John 21. 
John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven, the old earth, it had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's throne is not among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. God's going to make everything new. There's coming a day when the earth as we see it, the universe as we see it, is going to be destroyed. And God's going to make everything new. He's going to make a new heaven. He's going to make a new earth. And the Bible says that the dwelling place of God is going to come down to earth and be with man. Can you imagine that? God's going to take this earth and he's going to remake it to what he intended it to be from the very beginning. He's going to take the universe and remake it to what he intended it to be from the beginning. And he's going to take our bodies and he's going to remake them into what he intended for them to be from the beginning. Everybody that is over 50 gets excited, most likely, when we talk about these new bodies. Amen? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm excited about my new body. I mean, up until I was 40, I thought I could do anything, and I tried to do anything. I would get out there and run against teenagers and play basketball against them, and then all of a sudden, after four surgeries and lots of injuries, things started happening. I would wake up with aches and pains in places that I didn't know could hurt. I mean, and now I wake up every morning and something else is hurting. And my wife says, what's wrong? And I say, well, I'm old. I'm old. But praise God, God's going to make everything new. And he's not going to just give us a younger body. He is going to give us a body like Jesus' resurrection body. I did a funeral for my uncle yesterday and after the funeral one of the people there came up to me because of something I said and and they said wouldn't you love to be a 20 year old again I said God no <laughs> I was an idiot when I was 20 I don't want to be 20 maybe 30 <laughs> but God's not even gonna, I, we don't know how old we're gonna be all we know is our bodies are going to be perfect perfect physically, perfect emotionally, perfect spiritually. In every way, our bodies are going to be perfect. Johnny Erickson Todd, I talked about her several weeks ago. She became a quadriplegic because of a diving accident. And this is what she said. She said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice, I'll be walking. I'm going to thank him for every character-refining work he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair. And then I'm going to ask Jesus to send this wheelchair straight to hell. <laughs> because it was only needed because of the wreckage of sin. Did you hear that? You see, everything that goes wrong with our bodies, every disease, every sickness, every death, is the result of sin. And there's coming a day when all these former things attached to 
the way we know life are going to be no more. And there's going to be no more sickness or suffering or sorrow or pain. All of those things are going to be gone. And the Bible also tells us that everything else is going to be made new. The Bible tells us in Revelation and Isaiah that, that the animal kingdom is going to be made new. There are going to be animals in, in eternity for us to enjoy. Now, I believe I have news for you, and I believe I have this right. There are going to be 50-point bucks in heaven, but you can't hunt them. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be 50-pound bass, largemouth bass, but it's going to be catch and release. I mean, it's going to be incredible in heaven. I want you to listen to what it says in Isaiah in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leper will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of desi snakes without harm. Why? Because the poisonous predatory nature of those animals is a result of sin and everything that is associated with sin is going to be gone when God makes everything new he's going to make plant life new I mean can you imagine a rose without thorns well there's going to be that uh, listen to what it says in Isaiah you will live in peace, joy and peace the mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands where once there were thorns Cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. It's coming a day when, when God's going to make everything new. Here, now, Paul says that we're going through the birth pains, the suffering. Sherry and I had four kids. Actually, she did the having. I did the watching. Um, you know, she, was on the, she was on the field doing the work. I was on the sidelines cheering her on and, and eating while she was doing the work. And she had several of our kids without an epidural, without any. She did the natural childbirth thing. And, and I learned something. Childbirth is painful. It hurts. She yelled. She said some things, not bad words. I don't even think she knows a bad word. Some of y'all said bad words, I know. But, I mean, it was painful. And she never said this. But I've heard, I've heard some women, when they're going through childbirth, they're going through the agony of the, the child pain, you know, they'll scream out, You better not get me pregnant again! I'm not going through this again! And then they get through with the delivery, and they're holding that precious baby in their hands, and... Oh, they see the baby for the first time, and within 10 or 15 minutes, the mama looks at the daddy and says, when do you want to have another one? <laughs> and, and the reason is because the pain of birth pales in comparison to the beauty of the baby. You see, the glory that we have to look forward to is nothing compared to the groaning because of the suffering we go through right now. And that's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Listen to what he says. He says, that is why we never give up. 
though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our present troubles are small. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. How do we make it through the suffering when it comes? Well, it helps to know that God has a purpose. He's making us more like Jesus. But the other thing that I've discovered that helps us make it through is we know that what we have to look forward to is so much greater than what we have to endure. Hear me. What God has prepared for us so much better than what we have to go through here. Your life may stink. You may have some kind of illness that makes your life painful every day. My heart breaks for you. And I wish I had the supernatural spiritual gift to touch your body and take away your pain, take away your suffering. Some of you, You've gone through rejection in a relationship that has scarred you. You stood before a pastor and you repeated your vows and and you meant it with all your heart, but your spouse turned their back on you and rejected you. The person that, that you vowed to love forever. truth of the matter is, you may carry around that hurt to the day you die. There are some of you, you, you've lost a baby. You've lost a child. You've lost a spouse. And every time you look at a picture, every time you walk into a room, that heartache, that hurt, seems to come back. I wish I could take it away. But the truth of the matter is, in this world, we're going to face suffering. We're going to have hurt. We're going to have pain. Take your eyes off the hurt. Take your eyes off the pain. And look to the finish line. Because what God has prepared for us, what is waiting for us, is so much greater than anything that we have gone through. This life is filled with suffering. Not going to lie to you. The older you get, you may suffer more. I don't know. Life is filled with suffering. Suffering serves a purpose. For those of us who love Jesus, He will use that suffering if we allow To make us more like his son. But what I want to leave you with is the present sorrow, the present suffering, the present pain. It pales in comparison 
for future glory. So don't focus on the pain, become a sourpuss. Focus on the glory and rejoice that we have hope. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I would be amiss if I didn't extend an opportunity for you to trust him today, to give your life to him today, to begin to live life the way God created you to live. And so if you're here and you know that you need Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me for my sins. I've lived life my way. I've tried to act like I'm God. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you gave your life on the cross as payment for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead, defeating sin and death for me. And right here, right now, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm surrendering my life to you. Come into my heart and take control. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer.